Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking, fucking killing, killing Me. I'm Rainy. I'm Corinne. And thank you guys for listening. Season 3, Episode 3. Yolanda Bonnell, playwright, poet, facilitator, mm-hmm. actor, director, all things. Grant writer. Grant writer, yeah. <laughs> um, that was misleading. We do not talk about grants in this episode. If you just clicked off, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Please come back. <laughs> Please come back. I promised you we wouldn't talk about it anymore. <laughs> I hope everybody had a really good holiday long weekend mm-hmm. and got some rest. Yeah. Maybe ate some pie. If you like pie. And I hope you drank lots of wine. Mm. Got cozy. Sweater weather. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we go. <laughs> uh, hi, Ani. My name is Yolanda Benel. I am an Anishinaabe and South Asian performer and playwright and poet from Fort William First Nation in Thunder Bay, Ontario. But I am based here in Toronto. It's I've long. traveled a lot on those... Yeah. Fun buses. Uh, <laughs> I don't even like thanks. taking, like, go transit. <laughs> <laughs> Is it okay if I move my hair? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'll just adjust your mic if you... Yeah, whatever you need to do. I'm, like, a little closer. They make me so nervous. I'm like, oh. The mic's dead? Or? Yeah, the lapel mic. So I'm like, what am I doing? Am I talking into it? Do I not talk to it? Anyway, it's fine. It's I'm fine. Um, they're pretty great. <laughs> I saw that you were uh, in Stratford. Do you know who Peter Hinton is? I do, yeah. I'm doing a director seminar course with him right oh, now. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, for my because I'm doing my master's right now. But oh, he, great. I do a seminar with him and all of the MFA directors. Oh, nice. Well, that'll be fun. Yeah, and I went and saw... I was just in Niagara-on-the-Lake uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, because I saw Sex and I saw um, Glass Menagerie. Oh, nice. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, Glass Menagerie just isn't my favorite Tennessee Williams. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) And they did a lot of, they took a lot of... uh, Liberties? They, they like, completely took out out the element of, like, queerness and Uh, gayness. Why do it? Yeah, like, literally, Jim O'Connor is supposed to be, like, the... Or not Jim O'Connor, like, the gentleman caller. So, it was a bit, it was a challenging play to... I mean, it just wasn't my favorite. Yeah. And that, but Sex by Peter was very interesting to watch. Oh, that's good. It's a good play by Mae West, so, about, like, sex workers, female sex workers, Mm. who are, like, which is pretty interesting considering that play was written so long ago. It's written about sex workers by a woman, and the main characters in it are all, like, strong female leads. Mm. So it's pretty... Nice. It's like, that play was old, too. Like, she was arrested for that play. When was it written? Well, I can... 20-something? What? Yeah. Whoa. I mean, but who's it by? Mae West. And it's based in Montreal. I mean, that makes sense. She... Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if she wrote a play? Yeah. Oh, man. I need to do more, like, Mae West research. Mm. Yeah. It was... That's really interesting. 1925. 1925? Yeah, Mae West. Whoa. Which is, like... It's just, like, awesome. Because you kind of think about 1925, and you think, like, oh, I know what plays were being written then. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, look, there's a talkie, you know? Like, (laughs) But that's, like... That's really cool. But Mae West was like a pioneer in a lot of different ways. Like, mm-hmm. I hate using that term. Uh, I've, I've had trouble using that term, like the term pioneer or like um, trailblazer or like, uh, you know, like uh, what, what the other way, ways of saying that. Because yeah. it all feels so violent to me because yeah. it just makes it just reminds me of colonialism. So I'm like, but right. uh, but she but she like she was like a. A progressive like 
I knew she was a progressive person, like a woman in her time. I didn't know she was a playwright, though. That's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I would suggest reading the. Yeah, it was good. That's great. And he does a good job. Mm-hmm. I like Peter's work, so yeah. it was good. Great. Can I ask, how did you, mm. because of Luminato, that's how you became familiar with Yeah, her? I saw you when you were performing with Aria at... Four Sisters. Yes. yes. Four Sisters. Yes. Yeah. Four Sisters. Oh, Allison is also in my class, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, she's, yeah. Uh, she's gone right now, but she, cause she is, I don't know who she's with, but she's in Washington, I think, someone, maybe oh. Susan, I don't know. Oh, that's so cool. But, um, yeah, Allison's yeah. in my class as well. Oh, great. Yeah, I listened to the one with Jimena. Yes. Uh, when Jimena was on, I remember also, yes. when yeah, that happened. Fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. That was a really great project. Hard. Yeah. It was hard. If you want to talk about being an artist fucking killing me, that was a difficult show. Why was physically? That? Well, it was physically challenging. I mean, and, and I mean, like, I love physical work. Like, I'm not, I, it's all I do. Like, all the work that I do is, is most of the work I do is physical. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had, a, I have a lower back issue that I've sort of had for a little bit, but I injured it this past year. Like re it's an old, in, it's an old injury that sort of flared back up mm-hmm. this little past little bit. And so I was sort of contending with a, with a body injury while we were doing this incredibly physical piece of work. And so I think for me, it was frustrating on a different level. Like how do you care for your body inside having to do gig after gig after gig after gig because that was the problem was that I hadn't had time Mm -hmm. off to heal so that was a little bit tricky um but I mean also the content was 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 hard too like we were talking about some really serious things in terms of like poverty in, in in communities and um, access to medication and, and, uh, and being a woman in, in that environment and sex work and all kinds of things. And so, you know, a lot of us ha- have, you know, from those types of communities where there were riots and protests and, um, and using our bodies as, you know, resistance, uh, it, it touched, it touched on, it, t- it was a personal, like it was, it got mm-hmm. personal, right? Um, but I mean, like it, there was a phenomenal team. I loved working with all of those women. Uh, Susanna was great to work with. Like it, it, um, yeah, it was, it was just, I mean, a lot of the work I do is challenging, whether it be content wise or physical. And, and so, but that one, I think because, um, the other aspect of it too, was that it was so personal because my character, uh, I played the doctor and I played uh, the doctor in act two and I played Abby in act three. Um, as I'm sure, you know, I know Jimena told you that we all played different yes. characters at different ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the character of Abby ends up being sterile at the end. Uh, and, uh, so she wanted to have babies and then found out that the medicate, the, the, um, that she is the, the medicine that she was given, uh, as a child made her sterile and then she there and ended up sterilizing a whole population of people mm-hmm. by accident. Uh, and I, in 2017 was diagnosed with uterine cancer and, uh, had to go, uh, had to get a full hysterectomy. Uh, and so that was still pretty raw because that was this past year. So it's only been like, like less than two years since that's happened. 
and Su- Susie talked to me about it. Like we sat down and we had a conversation about it. So it was like, I know, I, I knew what I was getting into when I was going into the script, but it, it, it I think that, and, and I am being trained. I know how to like ground myself and, and know how to remove myself from right. those sort of moments. But I mean, there's only there's so much you can do and especially in rehearsal processes, it can get, it can get tricky. So I did have some moments where I was like, okay, I need to like bring myself back. Like this mm-hmm. is really tough. Like I'm talking about something that's actually happening in my real life, like differently, but, but similar, right. When you, when something is, when your choice is taken away from you. So, so that's where it got a little challenging, I think for me in in personal ways. And, but it was, um, I mean, that's the work, mm-hmm. right? That's the work when you're talking about things that are happening in the world, um, or happening to you, uh, it, it can get, it can be tricky to sort of navigate through what that means for you as a person, as an actor. And how do you, how do you, um, separate those two and, and, and keep yourself safe in that work. Right. And were you chosen for that role because of what had happened to you in the past no, or if it was she, just, yeah, she, I don't think she knew when she chose me. And then I then when I, I posted something about it and like, I think she's found out over time. Like I don't, oh, okay. I, I don't think so. Okay. I, um, I feel like that would be a little weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering, it's just like yeah. an interesting coincidence. It, almost, is, it you know? is, but I mean also like when I had the surgery, um, I did breathing hole at Stratford that I, cause it all happened while I was in, doing my season at Stratford and in breathing hole, I was pregnant. My character was pregnant. And so oh I had to wear, God. I had wore pregnancy padding and I was like, this is uncomfortable. And I, and I, but I, they also were like, we don't have to. And I was like, no, because it's really the only way that we're going to differentiate between the characters that I'm. And so, uh, and so, I mean, that was another sort of like universal coincidence where I was like, right, right after this, the surgery, I have to go and play someone who's pregnant. So it's not, it's not, um, it's, 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 you know, it's the universe laughing at me. I think sometimes I feel that way. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Do you have a toolkit that you use to like keep you safe in moments like that? Yeah. Like I, I feel that it has a lot. To, I, I always make sure that people around me know. Mm. Um, I think that oftentimes we feel like we have to, uh, hold it, hold, hold our trauma and hold our pain and hold our stories inside so that, Oh, I don't want to tell any, but like, then I don't think there's, and then it, then you have to do all that work on your own when you're, when you are working with people who you trust and love and care about, which luckily oftentimes I do get to be in those positions, or at least I find that along the way. Um, I try to make sure that people understand where I'm at. And that's a part of my process of decolonizing theater and, and the work that I do even with my company and, and when I run rooms, mm-hmm. but that I, you know, I, like for that, for that, for four sisters, I, I was like, look, like just so the room knows I had a hysterectomy. This is going to be hard for me. Sometimes I might break down. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Crying is crying is crying. Trauma is trauma is trauma. It's going to happen. Um, and, and that was really helpful because then when it did happen, there were people there that were like to hold me and ground me and, um, and, and look me in the eyes and be like, you're here. It's fine. Like we're here, you know? Uh, and, and I think that that can happen with, you know, that happens when I get, I have PTSD. And so 
uh, it's the same sort of thing. It's very similar, um, where, you know, if I have an attack, there's somebody, usually there's somebody there to like ground me. Um, and so that's helpful to have that sort of outside support mm-hmm. to kind of remind me that, cause it, it, um, I have a lot of, um, anxiety and depression and like mental health issues that I've been struggling with for a very long time. And so it's easy for me to get pulled back into these like places where I, I, um, it takes me longer to get out of if I'm alone, Mm -hmm. but if I'm talking with people or people are there, then it pulls me back down to earth a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's part of my toolkit is, is making sure that people around me understand what's happening inside my brain or what's happening with my body or like with my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just to remember that, um, with the, the, how important the work is that I'm doing, that it's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, and reminding myself that this is somebody else, like with a very similar situation to mine, but it's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and keep holding on to that grounding. Cause it's, cause when you, when you, when you, I think that it can be, um, unstable for an audience to watch somebody work through trauma on stage when you know that they've gone through that trauma. So I didn't want to give that experience to anybody. Like I knew, and I think that four sisters was probably the closest one to that where, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm holding this baby at the end and I'm like weeping. And, and, and I mean, those were real tears. Like I'm not gonna, you know, I was crying. I don't force myself. I didn't force myself to cry. It was like in the moment, Yeah. but I wasn't, um, I wasn't being triggered because I knew I knew the outcome. I knew the script like it was, and I was grounded in those moments. So I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's, it can be tricky sometimes, but I do have a good, I usually have a great team around me and, um, and I've sort of found ways to keep myself present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're an, you're an actor, also a playwright. Yes. And also a director. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other titles? <laughs> uh, I mean, I do workshop facilitation right. as well. And, um, I'm a producer too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, it's one of those things where once I, because when I graduated, I submitted my solo show for Wasaga Check Begins to Dance, which is a developmental theater festival at native earth performing arts. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It's happens in November. Everyone should go. Um, and so I submitted my solo show for that. And then at the same time w- did the generals for factory and got cast in the crack walker. Mm-hmm. So I, and like, I went to performance, like theater performance. Like I came to act. I, I've always been a writer, but I never, I guess I didn't really, believe in my writing as much as I believed in my acting or I don't know why I didn't think I was a playwright or why I didn't, you know, it was the first thing I did was, was right. And so like, I, I don't know why I didn't have any faith in that, but, Mm -hmm. uh, so both my performing and my writing kicked off in a big way in that first year. So, uh, then I found both these wheels going at once and I was like, okay, now I've got to like, figure out how I'm going to do, keep the, both these balls in the air. 
So when, as if you're a writer, you have to start producing because otherwise, how else are you going to get any of your work noticed? Exactly. Yeah. So now then I start writing grants. So there's another ball in the air. So I'm juggling these three things. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like, well, like, and you know, the more, the more I'm like shaping my artistic eye or shaping my artistic voice, um, and working with different people, people want to work with me. Uh, and I was directing, I directed before I moved here. Like I directed some community theater in Thunder Bay. Um, and I've always been interested in it. I, I just wanted, you know, I still needed to hone it. Mm-hmm. I still do need to hone it. Uh, but so I, I, but I, I, prepared, I directed a piece for Paprika Festival, uh, Bilal Bag's piece, um, Plum Bomb, uh, and, and I want to direct some of my work as well as I keep going. And then when I started doing bug, um, which was my solo show, I coupled that with storytelling workshops for indigenous youth. I was, uh, contacted by a grassroots org back in 2016 to tour uh, or to go to Thunder Bay and do workshops with youth in Thunder Bay. And I really loved that, um, there was something about connecting with youth and watching them sort of figure things out and, and especially back in your home. Oh like yeah. Where you grew up, totally. Where you like could have, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and that, those options weren't there for me growing up. Totally. You know? And so like to sit with youth and have them and ha- and watch them sort of realize their own abilities is there's nothing like it. So then I threw the facilitator ball in there as well. So now I've got all these things in the air and I'm like, here we go. I'm trying to exist with all these things. And, um, it's a lot, but I love my work. Like I, I love doing the things I I do and getting to do them and having the ability to make a living off of the thing I love to do is what I, what I always wanted to do because I Mm. was working soul sucking jobs in Thunder Bay and I was like, I can't do (laughs) <laughs> did you leave as soon as you graduated high school oh oh no oh i'm 37 oh yeah I, I i and i did not graduate high school i actually dropped out okay um i had a rough upbringing and and it affected my right teenage years as it does um and uh i yeah so i didn't end up finishing high school i i dropped out in grade 11 um, I left home when I was 17. Um, and so I started working pretty much like immediately, almost immediately. And yeah. then got an apartment with my girlfriend when I was 19. Um, and I fell into this sort of, um, like pit where I wasn't doing anything for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing creative. Like I was writing, but it was really sad poetry. <laughs> sad. I looked back on some of the poetry I was writing in my twenties and I was like, Oh girl, it was like real, like real, like over dramatic. Like I, I was listening to a lot of Evanescence. Like I was a sad, you know, I was, it was real, real dark, but then alternatively, I wrote a lot about my queerness too. Like I wrote a lot about like, cause I was in a relationship at the time and uh, and she was closeted, so she didn't want anyone to know. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I'm not I'm closeted. So, okay. Uh, you know, so that was tricky. Yeah, um, very hard in a small community. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. She's my roommate. She's my best friend. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it was... And that's her and her. Like, that's her stuff. Like, it, yeah. you know, it affected me clearly. But, like, now I'm like, 
But you're like pulling someone back into the closet with you. Yeah. When you do that to your partner. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah, it was a it was not a healthy relationship. Mm. It was toxic on levels I can't even Yeah. Biohazard. Um <laughs> Yeah, but I was in love and in 20 something and like, meh, right. you know, um, but even when we broke up, like I was, the like guy still was like, not okay. It wasn't until I was about like 26, I think I auditioned for, uh, Steel Magnolia and got a part in that. And then it was like, oh, right. Like I remember who I am again all of a sudden. And so that really helped me, um, yeah, so I did a lot of community theater in Thunder Bay for about five years. And okay. then was like, I was 28 and had just did a, did a production of Rent in Thunder Bay, which was amazing. And was like, I have to, this is what I have to do. Like, I can't mm. go back to the call center or go back to the retail or go back to McDonald's. Like, I gotta, like, I need to, like, try. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't, try I'll never know I had these dreams growing up of like you know I was the kid that was like I was like Anne of, from Anne of Green Gables like that was like me I was so annoying and so like and so like <laughs> overactive like I love her I love her she was a huge in, yeah. like you know I talked to myself in the mirror like all the things that I was like oh my god such an imagination I had put on plays when I was a kid and like I just like I, I would I would grab shampoo bottles and pretend I was accepting a daytime Emmy award because I was on General Hospital or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like I was that kid. I really, really wanted. I wanted to be famous. I mean, I wanted you know because that's what I. You see, that's you see what you everywhere, see. right? Yeah, and you see happiness when you see that, yes, right? Yes. Media portrays like fame yes. and fortune as happiness. And, like, also you see something that's, like, a modern-day princess in your eyes as a child, right? You see these, like, creatures who, like, are done up whenever you see them on, like, the red carpet. And you're just like, that's a princess. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, no one ever looked like me. So, like, the the reality Mm -hmm. of it was, like, there's a... The the chances of that happening to me were pretty slim. Mm -hmm. But I had somehow deluded myself (laughs) into thinking that I into believing um that I could fit into that world mm-hmm. uh somehow I, I, I mean I had I still have uh, like this obsession with Marilyn Monroe like I loved Marilyn Monroe and so that was a huge thing for me too is like this glamour kind mm-hmm. of like but but what, what would drew me to her was her um I don't want to say brokenness because that's not what it is but like her upbringing was hard and like how much she suffered in her childhood and how much it affected. And I knew that no matter what she looked like, she was not a happy person. Yeah. And so I related to that right? really well because I was like, people look at me and think that I'm like happy and like all the time because the way I am, but I was always sad. And so there was this like kinship with that sort of behavior. Was she like one of the first like starlets that we knew that it like had a rough upbringing and had like all of these issues that wasn't like as romanticized. But do you or... think, I don't know if those issues were like that she had were as vocal when she was alive, when she was alive yeah. or even like 20 years ago as it is now. Fair. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't, I feel like because of the Marilyn movie and because we know more and more people are speaking out, it, we know more about like 
why she was like a little bit cracked, yeah. you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that was something that like, cause I feel like every picture you see of her, she's like, this is going to be the worst for recording. No, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's got yes. big smiles and yeah. like, just like always looking like, Oh, you caught me standing yeah. here. Perfect. And that's the glamour yeah. side of her. Yeah. My yes. favorite photo session of her is when she was in, this is, this is how obsessed. Uh, she, Cleveland, was it Cleveland? Connecticut. She's in Connecticut. It's when she was married to Arthur Miller. Um, I can't remember the name of the photographer, Sam something. Um, but she's like in like her backyard or something. And she's in this like little sundress and like, she's got this flower and she's just like playing and being like, I don't know. It's, it's so, it's just her being her. Right. And rather than this like glamour shots, which the glamour shots were never my favorite ones of her. It was always the ones where she was like laughing or, or being like, you know, not, you can see the difference between like, yeah. Yeah. I had a. Yeah, I love her, and and I and they and Hollywood destroyed her. Like they it ate her up, right? Mm-hmm. As it as it does, mm-hmm. and that's something that became very clear to me. The more I, like, right. the older I got, I was like, oh, I don't want that. Actually, that's not what I want. Right. I think underneath it all, the reality of what I actually wanted was I just wanted to be respected. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a respected artist, and um, because I didn't have respect growing up like in my home. So I, I think everything that I wanted, like everything I attained for was, were all, it was classic textbook. Like I didn't get it at home. So mm-hmm. I looked for it elsewhere, but yeah. So I, I, I decided that I was going to move to Toronto and be an actor. And I, and I was, and my friend was like, I was, I was like crying. I was like, I gotta get out of here. And my friend's like, listen, He's like, you can't leave right now. Give it a year. Mm-hmm. Like, make some money. Because if you leave now, you're running away. Right. If you take the time and really decide and then really, and then really like, get yourself together, then, then you're leaving on again. And I did that. I said I, I did it Solid exactly advice. a year later. Yeah, I was great. Yeah. Robert, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I packed myself on a Greyhound at like 9 p.m. and moved to Toronto. Wow. Yeah. And then went to theater school when I was 30. Which I would have never caught you for 37. That's why yeah, I was so surprised no. when you said that. It's no. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one ever... I'm like perpetually 26 or something. It's... I, I mean, I'll take it. I just know that one day I'm going to wake up and be an elder. Like, just one day I'm just going to wake up and look like Grandmother Willow. Like, it's just going to happen. I know it. I know it. Yeah. I'll have like a tree growing around me. It'll like... I'll suddenly have all this wisdom... <laughs> yeah, it's it's I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Um going to theater school and actually no, before I ask that question, sorry. I'm going to ask something else. Um so because you're a director and you're a facilitator and an actor, something that I mean I am struggling with just as like a creator or a producer right now is going into a room and being confident in my decision making and also like <laughs> I'm not, like, I'm understanding more and more that, like, being a choreographer is just, like, having the confidence to tell someone to do something that you actually want (laughs) and not, like, tiptoeing around what you want to, like, you know? I think... Because no one can read your mind. Because nobody can read your (laughs) mind. And also, you're not trying to, like, you don't want to be mean to anybody and you don't want to be, like, make anyone (laughs) uncomfortable, but you also, like, know what you want and Mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to get what you want without... Being direct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, I was, because I, I think I'm struggling with that a little bit in my own confidence in like being in a room and being the person making decisions. Mm-hmm. How are, how do you deal with it or how oh. have you dealt with it? Well, I used to, um, I used to do choreography for a burlesque troupe that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, so I understand that feeling of like, <laughs> of like, you're not doing it right. You know, like, um, yeah. um and I just drill. Like, I, like that was the way I did that. I was yeah. just like, we're do- you messed up one thing. And I'm like, rewind, we're doing it again. Yeah. No, rewind, we're doing it again. <laughs> like, and everyone hated me. Um, but I think now, I, I mean, and I didn't always have that confidence. Like I, public speaking actually terrifies me a little bit, which is funny, but it's different than acting. Like it's a whole different thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, when you're, when you're walking into a room and you're like, okay, and I'm like, I've got to command this entire room. Mm-hmm. I have to make sure all these people are listening to me. I have to make sure I know what the hell I'm saying. Um, it's really daunting. And for, it took me time to learn how to, uh, have that confidence right. because my biggest fear was always confrontation and things like that. So like my biggest fear was always looking stupid and not knowing, I don't like using that word, but like not knowing what I was talking about. Um, and I think I'm, I think part of my confidence now is that I've, I've opened myself up to learning about things that I didn't know about or did research or like, um, had support in my back pocket so that if anything came up, I would know how to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still scary. Like even now I get really nervous before I run workshops. Like it's so silly, but, but I also like, I I've also learned that I have to trust myself. I have to trust that I know what I'm talking about. I have to trust that I know that how I'm speaking is going to be interesting enough for people to hang on to. And that I'm like, engaging everybody in the room, Mm -hmm. um, that I know how to do that now. Uh, the lack of confidence is just going to come from like, if you, like, if you, if you walk into a room with no confidence, they're, they're all going to know it. Like everyone's going to know it. And the first workshop I did, they all knew it. And I was like fumbling and I was like, I don't know what's going on. But the more I did it, the more I learned from the last experience, the better and easier it got. Yeah. Part of me really thinks it's it's also just like the gap, like the more time the more time you have to like work, the more sure of yourself you are. Mm-hmm. And it's almost just like you don't you stop caring because it's like the work becomes more important than mm-hmm. than what you're scared of. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. I had this weird yeah. thing happen where I was like when I was touring um the unceded Coast Salish territory. And I was with bug and it was the first time we were doing the show with all the production elements in it. I was, ter- I was terrified. Like I always get scared before I go on stage. I always have to pee. I know it's not real. <laughs> you know, I always have that moment of why am I doing this? This is so scary. Right. And then I go out there and that's fine before bug though. It, I mean, it's a solo show. <laughs> it's just me. Um, I was so scared, like I, and I would get dry mouth and like, I, and you know, when I, I, and there was this weird thought process in my head where I was like, don't get too confident because then you're going to get cocky and then you're going to fuck up. That was a weird thing that was, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I was drilling it in my head. And then at the end of that run or the end of that tour, I, I, and before I was doing Luminato, 
I sort of sat for a second and thought to myself, in what world does being confident equal making you worse? Like that just makes zero sense. So whatever lies my brain decided to tell me about that. Also like whoever told you that first. Yeah. Like where did that come from? I don't know. Don't get cocky. You're going to fuck up. But that's a cocky. Is that's like confident. some old school, like theater yeah. school, dance school bullshit. Yeah. I definitely learned it from theater yeah. school. But like, I, I feel like, like at somewhere along the line was like, got, got told that confidence equal cockiness, which is not true. Is that like also something that's more said to women? Um, yeah. Confidence equals cocky. Mm-hmm. Whereas like men can be as confident as they want. Confidence are. equals charming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I I mean, you know, the rhetoric that gets spit out to us as we're growing up is... Bananas. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time when I was like 21, someone was like, ugh, you're so flirty. And I was like, but if I was a man, you'd call me charming. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, <laughs> oh. And I like think back on that. And yeah. that's like before I really like, I think knew what like feminism was or like, <laughs> you know, anything. Yes, past um, so. Yes, yeah. past little rainy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Or is it so true? Yeah. Yeah, and then I just, like... No, I'm eating, so... (laughs) And I just, like... was like, well, how about I just throw that out the window? Mm -hmm. And just be confident. (laughs) I know the show. I've been doing it for so long. I know the show. And then everything was fine. Mm -hmm. I was way more relaxed going into it. Mm -hmm. And it allowed me to have more fun. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be confident. Like, I, it sounds so... Just do it. Just do it! But, like... And it's not that easy. I know that's not that easy. But it took me some time to get there. But once I did... Like, once you're able to be confident about something... It opens up a whole new world of possibilities for you. hmm Yeah. It's, it's hard. I, <clears throat> I think it's part of just, like, where... I mean, I am. And also maybe you as well are in, at in your career. Where you feel like... It's a little bit of imposter syndrome because you're like, do I even really know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or and have then, I tricked all these people or into being here? Or, or do I just need to like wait? Like in ten more years, am I going to be having the same issue? Probably not, because I'll be like, ah, Listen. ten years wiser. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened to me. I like I <laughs> I go to these panels and I and and I feel. Like and and it's probably not true, but I feel like I'm rambling most of the time, and I'm like I have no form. I I am a high school dropout. <laughs> I am a high school dropout with like zero education. I only have my life experiences and my street smarts. <laughs> and I'm like and I'm up here talking about like I don't know what I'm talking about most of the time. And then people come up to me and they're like, "That was amazing." And I'm like, I. Okay. Did you hear the same thing that I heard? Yeah. They're like, you changed my life. And I'm like, okay, look, I, you know, and, and I mean, look, I don't actually know like how people are viewing me. Like I can't see myself from the outside. I, I'm not listening to myself speak. Right. I mean, I am, but not in the same way. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, sure. I, 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 I understand that the things that I say can influence people now. I, I, I think I'm still adjusting to that is what I is where I'm at, where I'm like, Oh, like, oh, now people are actually listening to what I have to say. Mm-hmm. So, it, and, and for me, it's less about monitoring what I have to say because I don't feel like, I feel like if I say something that um, is offensive or, you know, I, I want to be told about it so that we can have a di- open up a dialogue. 
I, you know, I've made mistakes in my past. I've said things that weren't great. Uh, and, and I'll own up to them because I, I think we've, we've all been that person. And, uh, yeah. So I, I think that I'm now I'm like, right. So now I've got more of like, um, people are paying more attention to me. So now they're, because I hear people say to me a lot, oh, I love what you post online. Or like, I really like you're, because I'm a really political person. And I wasn't always like that. Because again, like I said, I'm scared of confrontation. So I was like, I was like, no, I don't want to talk about these things. I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But now that I know things, um, and now that I understand more about what my experience, particularly as an indigenous woman, was like, and I understand all these transgressions that happened, I'm going to speak on them now because before I couldn't and now I am. Um, and I know that not everybody has the ability to use their voice the same way and not everybody has the same sort of platforms as I do. Um, and so if, if somebody's going to give me attention or if somebody's going to give me a chance to talk, I'm going to use it to talk about, you know, the important things that I like to to talk about okay. other things that I like to do. And so when I do these panel discussions, oftentimes they have to do with like my, my practice or like, um, or, um, you know, my work, which, which centers on indigenous women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it, it's all using my political voice in some way. It's just that sometimes I feel like I don't know what I'm saying, but apparently I do. I, I think again, it's that confidence thing where I'm like, I'll go in there like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say all these things. And I'm going to be confident about it. And then afterwards I'm like, what the fuck did I just say? <laughs> Who fucking knows? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Somebody like quote something back to you and you'll be like, God, I'm wise. I know. I'm That's 40. <laughs> yeah. I am a wise old tree. Grandmother Willow. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I'm going to wake up. It's going to be all the knowledge of the trees. <laughs> um, when you write your shows, is it mostly about personal experience and past experience? Or do you divert into fiction slightly? Um, it's, it's a combination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do write from my own experiences in, in, in terms of feeling. Or, uh, like a nugget of an experience that I then branch out into putting it into something else. That makes it no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, see what I mean? That's what I mean. Um, <laughs> and then someone's like, yeah, that's so, yeah, I get it. And I'm like, no, well, I don't even get it. Yeah. Um, so like I'll take, uh, I'll take a, a, an emotion of something that I felt or something that happened to me and write and usually write that in a poetic sort of way. And then whatever context did it gets get written around it or people will grab onto that thing and be like, Oh, like I felt like that too, but for a different reason. So for me, when I write, uh, poetically and a lot of my work is poetic, um, it allows for more access for people to come in and be like, well, it's not about a specific experience, but it's about an emotion. And so that stems from a specific experience, but then people can like sort of latch on and be like, Oh, I've had that same feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's that. And then other times I will just straight up, write Like this is what happened to me. And I mean, I do fictionalize it in some ways or like I spin it a little bit, um, so that it's not so raw or like not so close to me. Like I won't, I won't write, I don't like confessional theater. I, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's safe. And I, and I don't think it's safe for anybody. And right. yeah. do you find it like self-indulgent? 
Um, I think it's, I mean, yeah, I guess that could be a a word for like, that could be a term for it. Mm -hmm. I, I I think I understand why people do it. Like I get it. Like art and is healing and theater can be so healing. And like, and that's, I mean, I, that's how I heal is by writing my experiences. Yeah. But I spin them because I also know that they have to, like the ultimate goal is for production. Um, and not always me in it, but I, um, I just want to make sure people are safe. Uh, and, and I think that confessional theater can, there's a place for it. I Mm -hmm. think that it's just, I think it just needs to be a specific place. That's not, um, with certain audiences. I, I, I I think it can, it just can be tricky sometimes because like I said earlier, like, I don't want to, I, like, I feel unsafe watching somebody and then I'm crying Somebody said that right. when I did this, when I did the indigenous women's storytelling workshop in Thunder Bay, one of the women said something to me that was so profound yet. So like, I was like, why didn't I, I know this to be true, but I never let it sink in. Mm-hmm. But she was like, sometimes, uh, representation can be a trigger. So sometimes when you see yourself represented or you see your story on stage, it can be completely triggering to that experience that you have. And I was like, whoa, man, <laughs> whoa, yeah, you can spiral. Oh, 100% mm-hmm. because the, the, all the, the, there are three shows that I've seen that I felt fully represented in and I have wept at each one of them. Like I was like, <laughs> you know, like every single one. Oh yeah. And so like, yeah, that makes sense. So also they can be unsafe in representation. So I'm like, right. So we got to like, especially if it's not something you're used to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, if, you, if it's never happened to you before, the first time you see something is like yeah. mind boggling. Like, yeah. I, the first time I saw movie superhero female. Oh, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel? Cried the oh, entire yeah. time. I cried the, the whole time. The entire time. Just because it was like a strong female lead character yeah. that was just a badass. There's like no like, romantic yeah. component, like yeah. nothing. She's just like, you yeah. know? I was like, cool, now I finally get superhero movies. Yeah. I finally get them. Yeah. They're not just fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, They're actually they powerful. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Yeah, the first play I saw that I felt like I saw myself in was um, Venus's Daughter by Megan Swaby. Mm. Uh, and it for me, it really spoke to um, body positivity and, like, feeling represented as, like, a, like a big girl and, like, the, the journey through that was, like... She was so vulnerable on stage, and I love her. Megan's a friend of mine, and, like, I was sitting in the front row. Big mistake. I was, like, <laughs> ugly crying throughout the whole thing. And she was, like, giving a monologue to me. I was, like, you're a bitch. Like, I was, like, <laughs> ah. like just, like, not, you know, not okay, but in the best way. Um, so, yeah, I uh, sort of coming back to, like, writing about my experiences I don't want, like, I, I want people to connect to the work. I think what I'm learning now is I, I want to make sure that, um, people, that, that people aren't triggered. And that kind of goes along with what we're trying to do in terms of not writing so much about trauma and more writing about joy. Mm -hmm. The, the, the tricky thing with indigenous work is that there, I feel like anytime we write about our stories, there's always going to be a through line of, of pain or trauma because that's just our existence right now. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, and, and I just want to make sure that we're, we're, we're balancing that line out because 
uh, I find that um, oftentimes settler audiences come to see trauma. They come to see the pain. Because when they can come to see the trauma and the pain, then they can feel bad. And when they feel bad, they think that they've done something good. They're like, I'm doing the right thing by feeling bad about this happening. That makes me not racist or it makes me mm. not, the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so yes. there's, so then, and so, and I've, and I, and I've seen it in action. Like we did a show called Kamloopa on the West coast. It was written by Kim Senclip Harvey. And she's doing a lot of really great work, um, in terms of like indigenous women writing about four indigenous women, writing about joy um, and it's a really funny play. It's a really funny play. Uh, and then at the end, there is a little bit of a turn where we're healing and, and for indigenous people, healing can be a really hard and tricky thing and can oftentimes trigger because to heal, you have to think about the thing that you're healing. Right. Mm. Um, and so at the end of the play, there's a little bit of a harder moment where it gets a little emotional and we had an audience in Saskatoon where it was a predominantly white audience and the whole first part of the play, they weren't laughing. Like nobody was laughing. And I was like, you guys, this is is fucking funny. (laughs) Like, how are you not laughing right now? Like guilt. Yeah. It's literally guilt. Well, it's guilt. And and I think part of it is like, they may not understand some of the humor, which fair. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, they just were like, like scared to, laugh. they just didn't laugh at anything. And so I was like, okay, this audience is dead. They hate the show. They hate us. Like whatever. Let's just finish it. <laughs> then we get to the end of it. And then they're all crying. Oh, and then they all stood up and gave a standing ovation at the end. And I was like, you fuckers. Like I, it was just so <laughs> clear to me that it was like, they were like waiting. They were like, oh, there it is. There it is. There's the thing I was waiting for. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. so... And I think it's particularly hard for indigenous women because for, because indigenous men can write comedies and, and people come out to it in droves. Like they'll, like they'll come up because men are allowed to be funny. Mm. Men are allowed to be whatever they want to be. But for indigenous women, if we're not missing or murdered, we don't fucking matter. Mm. Right. So, and even then we don't matter. So it's such a, we're, and, and we have like, there are indigenous like women, creators who have been doing this work for so long and like our, our elders now who are like, like they've made this way for us, but they're still fighting to get their work produced. And I'm like, what is happening? This is bonkers. Like, like, why are we like, why are you still fighting to get produced? Like, it's just, it's so, I just can't. And so that's why all my work is centered on indigenous women, because I'm like, look, like I need to, we need to do this work to uplift these stories, these voices. And yeah, I I have written about trauma because, because that's my truth. And, um, bug is a really hard show to sit through. Like I'm aware of that. Um, and I know that it does bring up a lot of stuff. Um, but the last run that we did in Thunder Bay, what I learned was people saw a lot of healing. People do see a lot of healing in it. And that's really important to me. Um, and the women that I'm talking about in that play often get overlooked and often don't get written about or get written about as stereotypes as opposed to like 
hot, like, let's talk about the root of addiction in our communities or let's talk about, mm-hmm. um, you know, how we're set up to fail mm-hmm. and how there's no help and how it doesn't matter how much we try to get out of these cycles. There's always going to be somebody there to push us back in. Mm-hmm. And that's the society that we live in. Um, and so it was really important for me to talk about that in that piece. And then I'll write like, I, and then I, you know, I'm, I have four plays in development right now and they're all in different stages and they're all about women. And, um, and some of them, like I wrote a play called White Girls and Moccasins, which is very much my identity story. Like the fictional parts of it are so small that you can, I, you can barely call it fiction, but it's fiction. Uh, but like there are like, that's pretty much the closest thing to my story as I get, I get the trauma aspects of it are written in poetry so that, uh, in choral poetry so that it's not, again, that it's not, I'm not standing up there going, I was abused or this is what happened to me. Like it's written in a way where you have to sort of decipher it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, which is part of me keeping myself and the audience safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. White Girls and Moccasins was produced by is being produced by uh, Buddies in Bad, Bad Times, times yeah. right? Is it yeah. part of the current season? No, no, okay. no. I don't know if I'm allowed to. I, we're in residency right now um, uh, with them. So we, we there's uh, the residency has like a workshop um, in May. So okay. of next year. So okay. uh, next year, next May, we'll be, we'll be doing some more work on it. And we'll probably have a stage reading then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about that one. Yeah. Uh, I'm really, yeah, that piece is really funny. Uh, and I, I was really, because I, I really just wanted to write a comedy. I really wanted to write something funny because I was like, I can do this, right? I can write funny. Well, the title <laughs> is like. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's already perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah. Right. Um, do you feel, I know you talked about like, you know, obviously there are elders that aren't having their work written about and are struggling to get it produced, but do you see any change happening at all right now? Um, yeah, I think it's starting to turn a little bit. I I can sort of see it. I, I mean, I'm getting a lot of support, which is really, really great, but I, I hope that others are too. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want it to just be me. Like I, I, I want to see, like, Frances Konkin is a Anishinaabe playwright from Winnipeg, uh, who, her work is, oh my god, it's so funny. She is probably one of the most talented, funniest writers I know, and, and like, she needs to be produced way more, like, period. She just needs to be produced. Um, people need to be paying attention to her work. Mm-hmm. Um like there's a lot of us that are that are doing this work um that some some people are getting noticed and some aren't and I don't know what that I don't know what that is I don't know what that dichotomy is like why why some over others or why is why is there only have to be one you know what I mean like because sometimes it's like they pluck it and then it's like okay we've got our indigenous women and then it's like, and it feels yeah. like token, right? And right, then, right. and then, oftentimes, what's going on is that I think, and this is maybe a conspiracy theory, but I think that the work that isn't getting funded is work that doesn't focus on trauma. The funny work is not getting funded, as opposed to like the traumatic work. And maybe that's just a conspiracy theory. No, but I would, 
it I would feels, agree I would that. agree with that. Like, yeah, right. yeah, like you know, it kind of like feels that way. Because um, right. why bet on a play, a funny play written by an indigenous woman, when you can just see Shakespeare's As You Like It for the hundredth time? This is what I'm saying. You know, yeah. yes. like because that. I mean, because Shakespeare's As You Like It will sell tickets. Well, because it's universal. I'm using air quotes. Yeah. You know, it's universal. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. people. I think that yeah, some funding bodies are are more happy to you know, give money to things that are more accessible to everybody as opposed to representative of, mm-hmm, you right. know, yeah. I mean, and I mean that that's not my case because I, I feel like I've gotten a lot of support and I, and I'm really grateful and thankful mm-hmm. for that, but I don't want to be the only one. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I am, but like, I, 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 you know, we are seeing a little bit of a turn. I mean, um, there are indigenous women that are doing a lot of great work. Like Jenny Luzon, Lozon is directing uh, Almighty Voice and His Wife at Soul Pepper right now, which is really great. So like we've got a, an indigenous woman director out there. Um, you know, uh, Renalta Arluk is uh, has written a um, Cree version of Macbeth called Powagan, which is fantastic, and like that's going to be produced at some point. Uh, so like I mean we're you know, and, and Kim's, Kim Sanclip Harvey's work in, in the West coast is doing really great. Like we're here and, and, and it's, and we're, we're, we're getting there, you know, like we're, we're like crawling out. Um, I just hope that, um, that we all get, you know, have our time or like, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, like, and and one of the exciting things for me is that the last two plays that I've written uh, have have uh, seven, have eight characters. Two two of the plays have eight characters in them, and seven of them, and one is are indigenous women, and eight of them are indigenous women, and the other, right, um, or and non-binary, uh, and. And for me, if I can write, and, and I was told, like, don't write more than four people in your plays. And I was like, I'm writing eight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> eight characters. And they're like, okay. it's not going to get produced. I'm like, guess what's getting produced? <laughs> My play with eight characters. Um, because, 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 do you know how amazing it is to look on stage and see a group of indigenous women on stage doing one? Like, I just did a natural accident to women in Ottawa at the NAC. And like, never, like, like I've never in my life seen so many indigenous women on stage. And I was just, and I, I mean, I was one of them, but like there's that feeling is like no other feeling. And, and, and it's, it's something to be celebrated when that can happen, when we can see so many of us on, on one platform and being like loud and laughing and, or crying or, Mm -hmm. you know, just being. And, and so that's really really important for me. And if I can provide that, like I'm going to do it. Right. And, and so now, now seven of those women get an opportunity to be on a main stage, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. And experience of being on a main stage, because if we don't give experience to people, then how are we going to change the status quo? How are we going to change it? Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like if you, I'm so tired of the, like, well, nobody applied. Well, nobody applied oh, that was that was yeah, a, like a minority. Then go out and do the legwork. Yeah, yes, go you have out to go and back to the, the community. Yeah, because these communities and some of these folks don't know how, like, aren't aware of your institutional process. So you need to go out and do the work and do the outreach or engage a liaison and pay them. Yeah, like 
Uh, or hire somebody, even if you're like, cool, you recognize the problem. Hire somebody so that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Hire someone so that they have the experience. There's something happening there. They're improving. They're, you know, it's yeah. not. It's not yeah. just a lot of people. Yeah, it's really Sorry. frustrating. No, no, no. It's, I had to calm myself down a second. It's have a grape. It's gonna be okay. Yeah. It's inc- no, it's incredibly frustrating, yeah, and yeah. like, and and to see it happening, and to be a part of it, and being like, okay, well, like, so many institutions are like, oh, we want to do diversity, or we want to do inclusivity, or we want to do blah blah blah. Um, but their boards are all white or the, the majority of the playwrights are white or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, are they like cast of color and, and not and colorblind cast, which I was, was just going to ask you about that. Which yeah. is like, so like, no, yeah. just no, uh. because somebody's lived experience in a body of color is different. And so if you cast that person, you are making a political statement whether you want to or not. Totally. A, a, a body of color on stage means something different than a white body on stage. Yes. And it always will. It just is the case. Yeah, sure. We would all love to live in a world where that is not the, not the case, but that's just not the world we live in. Like, and if you my, keep, Sorry to interrupt you. No, if you keep claiming that, it's just like ignorance to the problem. To, you're erasing that person's yeah. lived experience. Yeah. Yes. Um in the character or not, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, unless you consciously make that a part of the world mm-hmm. and write that in or, or direct that in, then it's, it's, it, it, it's distra- It's not, it's not that it's distracting. It's just that it's not authentic and it's not safe for that actor. Mm-hmm. And I think like when we talk about what, you know, institutions are doing, it's, it's, it's such a tricky thing because they're all trying to do the right thing. And, and you kind of have to sit there and go, yeah, you're, yeah, you're on the right track. Keep, keep going. Like, it's like we're guiding, you know, guiding them over. And some people don't want to listen because they don't want to let go of something that they might lose. Like, they don't want to like, well, like we don't want to lose our audience members or we don't want to lose our patrons who are most of the time old white folks. Mm -hmm. Like we don't want to lose our patrons. So we don't want to alienate them. So we're going to be careful about what we program or we're going to da 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 da. We, we're going to, we're going to program another Daniel McIver piece or we're going to, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like they, they they're, they're pandering to the lowest rather, common denominator. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to opening it up and being like, well, how about we try something different or how about we, you know, listen to indigenous communities when, when we're, when we're talking mm-hmm. part of the work that I do, I have a company that I, um, I'm a co a collective uh, with Cole Alvis, where we are part, co-artistic partners of Management's Collective, um, and and some of the work that we do in, when we come into spaces um, is in a, our attempt to decolonize the theater practice, as opposed to indigenize the theater practice. We're trying to decolonize it, mm-hmm. and that comes along with like, well, well, we're gonna like run check-ins. We're going to have talking circles in the morning. We're going to make sure that we're all in the same place. And this is work that Kim Sanclaparvi is doing as well. And what we did at Kamloopa was like later days, like, um, ending short, ending, ending, uh, ending the day sooner so that the designers have time to work. And it all worked out. Like it all works out. Like it, it's, you know, this like rigorous, like way that institutions work where it's like, you have to do things this way because this is the way it's always been done. Right is unsafe, not sustainable, and actors burn out. 
designers burn out and that everybody hates themselves by the end of the process or each other or each other. Yeah. And, uh, we're trying to change that narrative. Um, and not every institution's on board with that because they're like, well, this is, we're going to lose money this way. And we're like, guess what? It's not all about money because theater is part of the capitalist structure, but it doesn't have to be. We can work towards making it less about how much money you're making and more about how many people are you reaching or like, who are you talking to? What is your audience? Like whose lives are you altering? Um, it's really like busting in people from communities to see the work or like bringing it to communities to see it. Yes. It costs money. So yeah, we have to have more funding, but I think that we, I think that institutions just need to be listening more to people who are on the ground doing that work and, and giving more space for that. Mm -hmm. And luckily I have like, I'm partnered with some, some great companies that are, willing to do that work. So not everybody is, but at least there's some people out there. That's great. Yeah. We have to ask you the question before we wrap. Yeah. Is being an artist fucking killing you? Oh, 100%. (laughs) But in the best way. I, yeah, I'm taking a break from acting next year because I took said to yes too many times this past year mm-hmm. and I thought I didn't, but I did. And because of all those balls I was talking about juggling, um, it's affecting me physically and mentally and emotionally. It is fucking killing me. So I, I do, I am trying to find that work life balance and, and make sure that I'm maintaining my friendships and relationships and, um, and my, who I am and not just becoming addicted to my work. Cause that's a thing. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm addicted to the, the killing of me. Do you know what I mean? And so I, I think I need to, yeah, I just need to like do some work and write, focus on my own work as opposed to being in rehearsal processes from institutions that I don't always agree with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was great. great. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for listening. Um, if you like what you hear, you can go follow at what's your uh, Yolanda underscore Bunnell is on Twitter. Um, and I have a website too, uh, YolandaBunnell.com. Um, I think that's it. Cool. That's pretty much it. I have a Facebook, but you know, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> sure. You're present. I'm there. <laughs> also, um, go leave us a review. Uh, follow us, download us, do all the things. We're available anywhere that podcasts are listened to. So Spotify, iTunes, Radio Public, Google Play, whatever you need, we're there. Um, And please go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to our Patreon if you like what you hear. And thank you so much.